and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks. I am thrilled you're joining us today. We're going to be having a really interesting conversation. We are going to be talking about a caregiver support network that brings hope and relief to family caregivers. And I can't imagine that there's not one person listening that this show isn't going to be important to. But before I introduce you to our guests, I am first going to just do a couple of shout outs. One, I really encourage people to go to our main website, which is alzheimerspeaks.com. There you will find all kinds of wonderful resources. In fact, we have one tab that is just educational resources. You can find out about dementia-friendly communities, dementia chats, uh, dementia in the arts, memory cafes, our poetry section, so much more. There's free tools you can download. So please access that and feel free to share that with others. That's why we have it there. Um, we're here to help. Also on our site, you'll see a book tab. And we just launched Betty the Bald Chicken, Lessons in How to Care. It's a beautiful children's book. Um, with wonderful watercolor illustrations by Emily Lund. And it has questions in the back. It's a book that really any age or stage of life you can use. It's not dementia specific. It's all about those times in our lives where we just don't feel like we fit in. And so what do we do? What do we do for ourselves? And how do we want others to treat us as well? And then um, I would also recommend that you check out Dementia Map, which is our global resource directory that has over 150 categories you can search. It has a wonderful blog with articles, a glossary of terms, a calendar of events. And um, also, we just um, started pushing out our shop right now. So those are items that you don't know that you need, but boy, they'll come in handy. So um, check those out and let's let's get back and introduce you to our guests now. Well, Becca and Sarah, I am so excited to have you on the show today. Uh, like I said in the intro, everyone who is listening is going to want to learn more about your caregiver support network. I mean, there's not a soul in this space that doesn't want this, need this or know of someone who does. So the first, thank you both for taking time to be with us today. I really, really appreciate it. But before we start, I would like to have each of you introduce yourselves. So Becca, I'm going to go to you first, if you don't mind. Sure. Well, thank you so much, Lori, for having both of us on. I know this is such an honor for both of us. And I also wanted to take a second and thank the listeners tuning in for caring so much about this topic and that they would tune in and listen to this um, this podcast or watch this video. So thanks to them for, for tuning in. Uh, my name's Becca Dowie. I'm the president and founder of the Caregiving Support Network. Great. Thank you. And Sarah, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Sarah Robb. I'm actually the president of the board. Um, so the little board of directors here at Caregiving Support Network. Okay, wonderful. And um, just to clarify, are you guys a non nonprofit? Yes, ma'am. Three boards. Okay, it's always good for our listeners to know that up front. So, you know, if you're looking for a place to donate, I'm sure there's a button on their website that you'll be able to go to and they'll be able to direct you to that as well. Let's start out with, to find out for our audience, um, if you have been personally touched by dementia. And Becca, again, I'll start with you. Yes. So my mom never had a diagnosis of dementia, but in her later years, she did struggle a lot with cognitive decline and memory issues. So I can certainly relate at least somewhat to your listeners who are dealing that with that in their personal life and the specific challenges that can come along with that. 
Okay, wonderful. Sarah, how about you? I I actually have a lot of family members that have struggled with either memory issues or dementia. Um, my late grandmother, uh, she had pretty severe dementia, especially in her later years. It just it got progressively worse. And then um, I actually lost one of my great aunts last year who struggled with dementia. Um, and currently, my mom's mom um, is struggling with memory issues and decline. Um, so it's a big place in my heart, like um, people who struggle with memory issues and dementia. Okay, wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. Becca, why don't you describe to us what your organization, Caregiving Support Network, what it is and what you do? Absolutely. Well, we exist to give caregivers who are taking care of a loved one with some sort of disability, we come in and give them the ability to take a break. Um, And we have found that is tremendously important in the caregiving community because so many of them are pouring out everything in their life for their loved one. And they're happy to do it too. But at the end of the day, there's often nothing left in the tank, whether that's mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, to take care of themselves. And so we exist to fill that gap. And we come in and surround caregivers with a holistic form of support, whether that's, you know, cleaning their home and easing that burden, or bringing in spiritual help and praying for them and emotional help and letting them know that they do have that community to turn to. Um, I know I'll probably get into more of this later. But when I was a caregiver with my dad, for my mom, we often felt like we were the only ones in the world going through that struggle. Um, and we love, I loved my mom. I loved spending time with her. Um, but at the end of the day, sometimes I was so drained that I, I didn't know if I could do it another day. And so we want to go to those caregivers who are feeling that way and, and fill that gap. That's wonderful. And, you know, the physical need is important, but so is that emotional need, you know, just Absolutely. to feel yeah. full um, and energized. And I know for myself, you know, my mom lived with it for 30 years mm-hmm. and I pushed away everything. You know, I was kind of like swimming blindly going, okay, I've got to take care of her and everyone else. And the last person I thought of was myself. And I didn't even know how much I needed help because I was, I was too blinded by the goal of taking care of, you know, my mom with dementia. And then my dad also had brain cancer. So I can really relate to what you're doing. Um, Sarah, anything that you want to add to that at all? Um, Yeah, I would just say that I think that this type of support is necessary because like you were talking about so many people, they kind of lose themselves in caregiving. And they don't really think about all the support and help that they would need. And that just gets a lot into to burnout and like the difficulty that you will face like emotionally and physically later after you give so much of yourself for so long um, without any help, you know? Absolutely. Do you mind sharing any of your own personal experiences, you know, since you've had so many in your family that you've been caring for? Uh, Yeah, so... Me personally, I I helped some with um, my grandmother that passed away a few years ago with her um, memory decline, but I was actually my mom's full-time caregiver uh, for most of my life, um, honestly. Uh, I had to take care of her as like the primary caregiver, like as my siblings got older and as my mom grew sicker and she needed more help and support, um, I just kind of started taking over the role more and more. And even though my dad was a big help with helping to take care of her, you know, he had to go to work and be able to support us. So during the day, I was just um, home with her and taking care of all of her needs. And, um, you know, she had to be her own advocate. And I had to advocate with her as well as my dad to try to even figure out what was wrong with her. Um, and it took, you know, over 10 years and like 17 doctors to be able to get her diagnosed, um, which finally ended up being with um, Addison's disease. And so some of that, she did have some type of, you know, like brain fog issues and stuff like that, because she had to be on steroids and other replacement hormones. Um, But she didn't struggle with like dementia specifically, but I know a lot of my other family members have, and we're still trying to, you know, take care of them. And I helped what I could with my my other family members that had dementia. Well, and I think 
a lot of times what people don't understand is the overlap from caring for one person with this type of illness to another. There are yeah. so many things that, you know, just cross the borders and are very similar and people can relate to, um, like you said, you know, you, you know, your dad had to bring in the income. Someone else had, had to kind of hold the house together and, and your mom and her needs and keep that um, all orchestrated. And then if you've got younger siblings, I would imagine some, a lot of that fell on you as well, if your mom's not able to do that. Yeah, I actually, I'm the baby of my family, but my siblings, I mean, they helped at at some points, but really as they got older and they left the home, um, my mom was kind of getting more and more ill and just needed more support. So it just kind of fell to me and I just, you know, took on the role of caregiving for her. yeah. And so like, I, I can understand like kind of giving all of yourself to taking care of somebody because that mm-hmm. was my life like day in and day out for a very long time. Okay. Rebecca, how about you? What, what was, has your uh, caregiving journey been like? Well, one reason Sarah and I are such dear friends is our, our stories align so similarly. It's um, kind of mind boggling to us. Sometimes we just talk about it almost every conversation we have. We say, can you believe we both grew up as caregivers? So my mom was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis the year that I was born. And so I grew up as a child caregiver and then later as a teenager took on a more primary caretaking role alongside my dad, which same story, he had to go to work and, you know, who's going to stay with mom. Um, And that ended up being me. So um, you can read, by the way, even more about Sarah and I's stories um, on our website. I just wanted to throw that out there for any listeners whose interest is peaked and they already want to get more involved. It's uh, caregivingsupportnetwork.org. But um, as, as a teenager and as a young adult caring for my mom, they were some of the best days of my life and also some of the hardest in so many ways. Um, I think any caregiver would resonate with this, that they wouldn't trade a second they got with their loved one for anything. Um, but I want to say, too, that there, there's almost no reason it has to be as hard as it was if you have a community that can come alongside you and support you in that. Um, I was very blessed to have family and friends who would drop by and give me an hour here or there to go to the grocery store or just step outside in the fresh air. Um, I was talking to one of our caregivers in the program the other day, and she said, you know, I wish something people understood was that when I say I need a break, it's not it's not to sit and watch Netflix or, you know, prop my feet up and have a glass of wine, although that would be great. Um, but she said it's really to tackle the other million things on my list that I can't get to. Um, and I think um, as a caregiver, my former caregiver myself, um, that just resonates with us. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. You know, what's really interesting is, you know, you talk about being a child caregiver really from day one, and there are many, many families just like yours out there that don't talk about it. You know, they don't, they, they don't talk about it. And I, I have to say, I was kind of blindsided by that when I started going into the high schools and junior high talking about dementia and of course, then, you know, we're talking about the broader umbrella of, of giving care And I was shocked, I mean, absolutely shocked at the number of kids that were caring for, um, you know, a parent, an aunt, an uncle, a grandma, a grandma, a grandpa, um, a neighbor. And, you know, they couldn't be in sports. They couldn't do a lot of things that 
you know, we just think, you know, are taken for granted. And, you know, this one class I had, there was like 80, literally 80% of them um, held up their hands and they were shocked because they didn't talk about it in school either. And that led me to a, a conversation with a friend one day and he told me um, one of one of our our pals in school was probably one of the funniest guys ever. And he's like, you know, nobody knew that his dad had ALS and he, he was dealing with that the whole time. And so school was kind of his outlet to have fun and, you know, all of those things, but nobody really knew what was going on at home. He didn't tell anybody that, and I'm in my sixties and just learning this now, you know, it was like, wow. Well, and that's, that's the common thing we're hearing from caregivers. Um, when we started doing research to found this nonprofit, we, you know, we looked up, you know, how many caregivers are there just in the United States? And there's 53 million. There's one out of five Americans are unpaid family caregivers. And I think it's it's super easy to look at that statistic and get overwhelmed by how big the problem seems. But at the end of the day, if we can change the life of one caregiver, and make it easier for them to say, okay, I can do one more day and I can do this, then, I mean, it's, it's worth it to me. Oh, for sure. And I definitely resonated to what you were talking about with not realizing how many children are caregivers, because I mean, I certainly did not know anybody else who was taking care of their parent. And so a lot of times people didn't understand really why I had to beg out, you know, of hanging out with different friends or I could only do things at certain times because I would tell them like, oh yeah, I can hang out like later in the day, but I can't do anything in the morning or anything like that because I knew my mom would be alone for hours, you know? And so I really had to kind of schedule things around when I knew my dad would be home within an hour or two. So that way she wouldn't be alone because even though she would be able to handle being alone for those couple of hours, um, she she was bedridden for a very long time too. So she wouldn't be able to move very much. Um, I also just didn't want her to have to be alone. Um, so a lot of people, you know, they eventually just understood, oh, okay, Sarah can only do things at night or Sarah can only do things on the weekend, like when her dad's home. Um, but that was kind of my reality too, like going out with friends or extracurricular activities or stuff like that, like different groups. That was kind of like my outlet and being able to hang out with people, you know, um, but other people did not understand like what I was going through. And it wasn't until really our friendship, like with Becca, that I kind of met somebody my own age who had been caring for a parent. Um, but unfortunately we, we never really got that close until after we had lost both of our moms. Um, and so we, we bonded a lot over just the grief aspect of it and also just changing, you know, almost like kind of our personalities after, being a caregiver for so long, um, because that really becomes part of your identity. Um, And so I think that's one of the reasons why this nonprofit is so close to both of our hearts, because we know what it's like, you know, and um, we know what it's like to have that as your identity and and have it be such an important aspect of you. I have a question for both of you, because I'm curious on this. Did you tell your your friends, did most people in school know that you had this other journey going on at home and this other responsibility? Or did when someone asked you to do something, you just said, well, I couldn't, but you didn't really explain why. And Becca, I'll go to you first. So it was, it was a mix for me. I think with the the friends who had grown up with me since I was young knew the situation. And those were the friends who would come over and, you know, do their best to help. But with meeting new people, it was so tough to explain. And I, I know our caregivers in the program resonate with that, too, because I was talking to Bonnie, who's one of the caregivers we've been able to support, um, thanks to our donors. And she was telling me that she'll have friends invite her out to lunch. And, you know, this happened to me as well when I was younger. And it's like, well, I can't. And they just, there's this disconnect there where they just don't understand why. And they almost feel slighted. But it's all because your entire life is just surrounding, you know, your loved one. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a mixed, it was a mixed bag for me. Um, it was tough for us to get to our normal houses of worship to get together with a lot of peers. Um, so I spent a lot of time outside and on the fringes of those groups okay and, well, and I think all often people like 
think, well, what's wrong with me? Why don't you want to hang out? And they take it personally. Even when you do explain, they right. kind of wonder, is it, an ex- is it an excuse? Because they're not dealing with that. And right. so they don't really understand that. Did you feel that happen sometimes? Go ahead, Sarah. I was, I was just going to say, um, well, for me, I was homeschooled. And so like a lot of people just knew I would be home during the day. And so it didn't really raise that. Yeah. So it didn't really raise any questions for that. Um, But as I got older and became like a teenager and stuff and like people kind of were like, Oh, like, do you have a job? Do you, are you going to get a job? Like, what are you kind of doing and stuff like that? I was like, I take care of my mom. And so like, I, I mean, I let people know, but I don't really think a lot of people understood the extent of like the caregiving. So I didn't, I didn't really go into the details of it, but people knew that, that was my job, you know, like that was what I was doing. I was taking care of my mom and I don't know. I, I think that it was more of like wanting to protect her or something like that. I was just like, I didn't, I didn't want to go into like details or whatever else with people, but they understood that that was like why I didn't have a job or why I didn't go out at certain times. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, I didn't really have any of those friends really ever offer um, honestly to help um, with anything. And maybe that's because I didn't share a, like the difficulties of it. Um, but so I didn't, I didn't really have any friends help out ex- until like much, much later. And honestly, only a few times, maybe a handful of times, somebody helped and came over for the most part. It was just me and my dad. Oh, interesting. Well, for people who are just tuning in, we are talking with Rebecca Dowie and Sarah Robb, who are with the Caregiving Support Network. And we've been learning about their organization and just kind of common challenges that families can have when they're caring for a loved one. And uh, next, we are going to be learning more about their support network and how it's really changing the lives of of so many families in need. And you can go to their website, caregivingsupportnetwork.org. They are a nonprofit and, you know, they thrive on donations. So, you know, if you've got it to spare, this would be a wonderful, wonderful place um, to put your money down and play it forward with other families there. So Rebecca, let's talk a little bit more about the Caregiving Support Network and how you provide help. You know, how do people, you know, get connected with you? You had mentioned, you know, maybe you could come over and do some physical cleaning or, you know, maybe it's pulling in spiritual help. Um, I would imagine there's probably an array of things that you can do for people. Can you explain that to us a little bit more? Yes, absolutely. So first of all, we are completely reliant on donors. So however many donors uh, help is how many caregivers we can help. So we are always, you know, having this waiting list, waiting for support. Um, And it's so awesome to see people step up, especially former caregivers or someone who has that in their family say, you know what, I don't want this to happen to one more caregiver. And I want to reach back and bring them forward um, and give them that support that I wish I had had or I know that my family would need if I was ever in that situation. Um, So that is a huge part of what we do. We know the network is part of our name for a reason. We want to be a community of donors and businesses and other nonprofits that link arms with the caregiver. Um, I know I mentioned before how isolation is such a big problem um, for a lot of the caregivers. So we try to take a holistic approach to caring for the caregiver. Um, We help them spiritually and emotionally through, you know, bi-weekly or monthly phone calls, whatever works best for them or Zoom calls, and we check in with them. And the majority of that time spent on the phone is listening. Um, And I cannot tell you the powerful impact we've seen that have on these caregivers who say to us, Everyone always asks how my loved one is because they can see, usually you can see the disability or they know that they had a brain injury or something like that. Um, But nobody asks how I'm doing. And just having someone call me or talk to me, you know, even if it's through a camera, just makes me feel loved in a way that I've never had before. Um, Even sometimes from their own family, which, you know, is nothing against their family. The family just doesn't realize the emotional drain that caregiving is having. So we provide emotional support. And then we also come in and try to ease their physical burden by either covering the cost of home care or meal prep and delivery or a cleaning company. 
Um, and we do that all through local companies that are local to the caregiver um, who are willing to work with us uh, to make that happen. And it's just been it's been phenomenal seeing how the ripple effect of that kind of kind of help, even on the people coming in, like the cleaning company and, and the staff. Um, it's just been phenomenal. Well, that's pretty cool. So if if I wanted to help out as an individual and I'm not a company, um, do, you, do you train people to go in and assist in different manners? So we do it all through third-party companies, um, just so that way we're not housing any, for example, medical information for our caregivers. That's all gone through trained medical professionals, um, and we work with those companies to do so. So, But the best way, if an individual would like to volunteer, we're always looking for volunteers for the emotional support, um, and we do provide you know, a small training to them, and we, we walk in step with them as they provide that to caregivers, um, and that's just been awesome. And then obviously financial support is, is really the heart of, of the mission to, uh, to cover the cost of it. So for emotional support, can you give us some examples of how somebody could help in that aspect? Is it a telephone call? Is it a personal visit? Is it a Zoom? What does that look like? Yes. Yeah, so if they're local, in-person visits are always the best. Um, typically, our caregivers request over the phone just because of the nature of caregiving and how they're always running around everywhere and they never know what their schedule is going to be day to day. Um, but for example, one of our wonderful uh, monthly donors is also a volunteer for us and her name is Jeannie. And she told me I could share this, um, but she cared for her sister who um who was ill for some some time. And so when her sister passed, she was looking for a way to carry on that legacy of her sister and she met us. And so not only does she financially support, she also calls one of our caregivers, Lisa, about once a month. And it has been so healing for, for both of them to be able to chat about their experiences and for Jeannie to in turn give that emotional support to Lisa and that listening ear and pray for her in a way that she wishes she had had taking care of her sister. Um, so it's, it's, it's just the coolest thing. Oh, that, that is very neat. Um, I'm wondering in terms of, of donors, I would imagine, you know, businesses could, could um, commit to funding. Do you do any matching programs or anything like that? So if employees do something, um, I remember UNICEF used to do programs like that all the time. Have you gotten into that type of detail? With companies we, and employees? Yes, we have not dove into that specifically, but I do know a lot of businesses offer that as a matching, uh, a matching grant kind of a thing to their employees. And usually it's very simple and it's on the employee's end. So they just have to ask their company if there is a matching gift program um, there. And normally they fill out a form, tell the company how much that individual wants to donate to us and the company will match it. So feel free to reach out to us if you're interested in doing that and we'll, we'll walk you through it. Okay. And if you, I would imagine if you know of local companies that might be able to give a hand too, um, do you get into anything like where people need repairs or cutting grass or, you know, painting things like that where, that can take, I know, a definite strain, both financially, physically, emotionally, just coordinating that those types of things as well. Yeah, so it's not it's not the core part of our program, but I will say one thing that we love to do, and we do this with every single caregiver that comes in, is we match them with a list of resources in their area and in their state that can do those kinds of things for them, even outside of our program. So we would love any businesses that have that kind of a thing. Um, we have our network page on the website, and we're always looking for, for more brand partners. Lori, you're one of them. Alzheimer's Speaks is up there. So if you go to our website, you'll see Lori's Lori's face. So um, we're always appreciative of, of businessmen who have a heart to give back to their community. Okay, wonderful. And the other thing I was going to say, a lot of times I think, you know, and, and I've run into this, I used to be in real estate for 25 years prior. But a lot of people want to make sure that they give back to people who have helped them. And I'm going to give you a couple of weird examples because I think people don't understand how much control they have over end-of-life issues. So I worked with a family um, several times. I, I think they bought and sold homes three times with me um, as they aged. Um, the husband had passed. 
the wife was was now ill and um, she knew, you know, her time was limited. And she called me up on the phone one day and she said, Lori, I just want you to know you are in my will. And I said, what? (laughs) You know, and she's like, the kids are fighting over who's going to sell my home. And you helped us out three different times with transition. And there's no one else that's going to touch this home but you. And I have stopped that, you know, because she, she just, you know, she wanted that to be kind of a completion factor for her. She was very appreciative for how I handled it. She says, you know us, you know what we need. You'll be able to handle my kids and there's not going to be infighting. And, you know, that was just kind of one of those shocker moments. But I think a lot of times people can give back if they just plan on it um, and know what it is they want many times, even at a, at a funeral. And again, I know this isn't where everyone wants to go, but this is part of life where none of us are, you know, getting out of here alive. Many times people want to know, where can I donate to, you know, give, give that some good solid thought in terms of how you can move that forward. I know a lot of times people just pick large common organizations that are out there. Um, but organizations like yours are boots on the ground, helping a family at a time of need. And those dollars can make a huge difference in terms of continuing that impact. So, um, you know, is it, some of you might think it's morbid. Some of you, you know, might think it's creative. You know, I always say think out of the box and just make sure that no matter who you are at what stage of life, you know, try to be in control of what you feel is important and never forget to say thank you, you know, or play it forward with that. We take preserving, you know, those legacies so seriously here at the Caregiving Support Network partially because of Sarah and I's personal experiences. Um, I mean, I, I built this in honor of my mom. And so, you know, we would be honored to be entrusted with, with carrying on someone's legacy like that is just, just mind blowing. Yep. Yeah. And I think it's important in, in, you know, with small companies, I mean, they, you know, they all need your support and people want to know who can they trust and, you know, what should they do? And, you know, thinking about it ahead of time makes it makes a big, big difference, you know, with something like that. Um, Sarah, is there anything else that you wanted to add in about the caregiver support network and how you guys provide help? Yeah, I just wanted um, to say the kind of like impact that it can have on somebody. Like Becca was talking about like the kind of just emotional support, but I'd say a lot of caregivers go through burnout, um, you know, because they are giving so much of themselves so often. And I think uh, just like the physical side of things and the emotional side and the isolation that come around it. And, you know, like just having somebody that understands what they're going through. And I mean, I know that there were so many times where I was just like, I just don't want to go, <laughs> you know, or I don't want to go to the grocery store. I don't want to do whatever else. And so having a meal delivery service or having somebody to come in and clean or deep clean when you have only been able to do cursory type of things, you know, or just basic upkeep, having somebody come in and be able to actually deep clean and kind of reset your environment. So that way um, it's healthier, you know, for you uh, mentally and emotionally. And then you can have kind of that one thing taken off of your plate. Um, I just, I think that's kind of the, the main goal of the caregiving support network is just trying to ease the burden, you know, just relieve some of the pressure on your shoulders. Well, and I think so often people like, oh, I don't want somebody to come in. I don't want them to see my house like this, that it's gotten away from me. And there can be that embarrassment. But, you know, to that, I say, we all know how good it feels to help somebody out and don't take that away from someone else. They're there because they want to be. They're not so that they can go out and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe this house I cleaned today. (laughs) That's not... That's not what's drawing these people in. It's what's drawing them in is they want to be a good human being to another human being in need. And, you know, we, we all get more out by giving than getting. And I think that's overlooked a lot of times in caregivers. You know, we get embarrassed. We feel like we should be able to handle it all. And, 
you know, I don't think that's what we were put on this earth to do, you know, to live a life of isolation and, and um, independence, totally. I, I think we were put here to live in community. And in order to do that, we have to let people in. And sometimes that's strangers that can turn out to be some of our best friends and um, things that we are so thankful for. So, you know, I just yeah. encourage people not to push an opportunity away when it's, when it's in front of you. I completely agree. Yeah. Cause there, there so often when, like you said, you get stuck in a mindset of, I should be able to handle everything. I can do this. Like, well, you might be able to physically do that, but like, what's the cost mentally, you know, like what's going to be the cost later. And like you said, I do think that we were made to be in community and, and also just being able to have uh, the humility sometimes to say, you know what, I need help. You know, I, I actually would appreciate if somebody came in and provided meals or gave me an afternoon off, like if, when a, a nurse comes in or just, you know, cleaning the house or uh, just little things like that, they really add up a lot and help relieve the, the mental burden of caregivers. Exactly. And, and it helps the loved one you're caring for too, I think, to see their caregiver in a healthier mindset. Um, I was just, you talking, Sarah, reminded me of Lisa, who's the very first caregiver we helped with the program. And when I first met her, she was telling me her story and how she felt like caregivers are the forgotten ones. And her and her mom shared a room. And sometimes, you know, she'd want to cry herself to sleep at night, but couldn't because she didn't want her mom to overhear her and because she loved her mom and she loved what she was doing. And thanks to our donors, we were able to go in and provide her with some, some cleaning help and some meal delivery. And I got to go visit them actually a few months ago and I was talking to her mom and her mom said, I can see the difference in Lisa since you guys came into our life. And it just makes me want to cry thinking about it because it's just true. And so you're not just helping the caregiver, you're helping their the entire family and their whole community as well. And we need to get these stories out there. We have so much we can learn from these people who are pouring their lives out for their loved ones. Um, and so we're here to listen and, and to give them a voice. Well, and it does change the family dynamic on, on many levels. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, from, from going to feeling kind of like an empty soul to one that's full and one that feels not alone, that in itself is huge is absolutely huge. And then you add on a physical task that's being tackled or emotional or financial support on top of that. You can't even put that into words. And most people don't understand that until they're in a crisis like this, because we don't imagine those tough struggles that many people are living through. And, and part of it is, is because society doesn't talk about it enough. You know, yeah. it's, it's kind of a, a silenced uh, second game that's being played <laughs> on the planet and it, it's not accepted. And there can be, you know, some embarrassment, there can be some shame, there can be uh, so many different things, you know, when, when it comes to stigmatizing mm-hmm. um, and people not being able to be their authentic self, that, that in itself is exhausting, you know, when you can't when you don't feel like you can really be honest with the people around you of what's really going on in your life. Um, that's just mentally exhausting. And I think we see that a lot with caregivers and patients who have memory issues because it's, it's like a twofold thing, right? So you have the patient who has the memory issues and they're embarrassed because they, they know, usually know that they're forgetting something. And that is a scary feeling. I can't even imagine how scary that must feel. And then you have the caregiver trying to help them live as normal of life as possible while also being stressed because they may have answered, you know, where that plate was 20 times already and they're just, they're tired. So, you know, providing that full dynamic support to both is just, is just so important. Yeah. I did an interview this morning for dementia chats. It's not live yet, but it was about miscommunication, which can happen. And, um, you know, people with dementia, especially, but this happens with all of us in life where what you said, isn't what I heard. And so I reacted differently and then it just kind of keeps spiking from that. And the other thing that came up was, 
about um, just clarifying, you know, by saying this is what I heard you say so that you can clarify that before kind of going off and getting mad. And um, the other piece they really mentioned that was so important was still using humor and incorporating that into your journey and into your life. And I think so often when we're dealing with chronic illness, humor is one of the first things we kick to the curb thinking there's not time for that. This is serious stuff, you know, and yet humor is at the core, I think, of all of our relationships that we, you know, we find so precious and it changes our, our, um, you know, chemical stability within our body. I mean, it's, it's just, it really is a medicine in a lot of ways. Um, And so I I encourage people, you know, don't forget to smile and laugh. Um, Goofy things happen before illness hits you and they're going to continue while you're dealing with an illness as well. Um, Or even death. I mean, it's, it's just part of life, but don't, don't give up the laughter and the humor and the smiles. I think that's really important too. Definitely. Nothing like a good sense of humor to get you through those really dark days. Um, And and another thing that I think segues into that is, I think this is the best piece of, one of the best pieces of advice I heard about dealing with, you know, when my mom had memory issues was just enter into the world with them. Is it's not really that important if they don't remember exactly what day it is. Just live that day with them. You know, maybe they're back in in 1972 right now, but it's okay to join their world and just just have fun with it. You know, like oh well, mom, tell me about your house again. You know, I'd love to hear about that ironing board. You know, just um, and you could tell that's a very specific example, but um, you know, not not feeling like you have to fight it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay to to live a new life with them. Exactly. Exactly. Cause you want to live in harmony, you know, not, not in frustration and anger and this, this black and white, the world's just not black and white. It's never been, we're living in the gray color outside the lines and don't worry so much about what other people are thinking or saying, do what your heart tells you is right to do. I just hope that you know, through conversations like we're having with you guys today, more people will feel open enough to share with a friend their own journey. Because I think even once you just open that door to actually truly share your journey, you're kind of shocked at how many others have had similar experiences, but haven't talked about it. And, and how good that feels, you know, you just, you don't feel like you're floating in the ocean, you know, on a little inner tube by yourself anymore, you know? Um, And that's, that's a huge, huge uh, impact, I think, to our mental, um, our mental health as well. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's one of the reasons why Becca and I became such good friends is because we were kind of like, you know, floating out there uh, in, in particular in our grief, but we've also been able to find a lot of humor in like sharing our experiences together and we laugh a lot together. And I know that um, even with all the difficulty that my mom was going through, we would, you know, always try to watch comedies or stuff like that. We would, I would be, sometimes I would dance for her (laughs) do whatever else. I always try to make her giggle or do something silly. Um, And she would say that I was her ham, you know, (laughs) Uh, just trying to play things up and just kind of uh, make her laugh about different things. And I feel like that was just so important for her and also just our relationships to try to uh, keep levity, you know, in our lives, like even even with the difficult moments. Yeah, brings that sense of normalcy. And trust me, you'll never regret building those memories. Um, I know all three of us can attest to that. Yeah. And sometimes it's the smallest of, of things that are the biggest and deepest I know in my heart in, that I probably would have overlooked before I was on this journey. I, you know, I, I might not have even noticed it, but, you know, as you know, my mom's journey changed over those 30 years, um, I had to look I had to become more in tune with all the nonverbals and I had to look for different things. It wasn't just, I think so often we rely on words yeah. and, you know, we need to look much deeper than that because there's so much communication going on with the eyes and the smile and the body language and, you know, the, the soft giggles that you, you could easily miss if you're not paying attention and how important those things really are. 
to each of us, um, you know, in our, in our relationship as a whole. Um, Becca, is there anything that you would want to say to caregivers who are tuning in right now? Absolutely. Well, to any caregiver listening or watching this, I first of all want to say that we we see you and we see what you're going through and we we know what it's like on a very personal level. Um, you do not have to go through this journey alone. Um, caregivers can also find help on our website. I know we've mentioned it a couple times, but it's caregivingsupportnetwork.org. There's a big button at the top that says need help. Um, and we made the application process as simple as possible, uh, but we'd love to get you connected, not only with our team of support, but also other caregivers in our program who can relate to, to what you're going through. So we see you, you're not alone, and there is support out here for you. Well, I appreciate you both taking the time to be with us. Sarah, anything that you wanted to add? Uh, I just want to say, like Becca said, like, you're not alone, um, and like you were saying earlier with the life rafts, like there are, are other people out there and um, you can just share your story and have some support in this difficult time and just, you know, just have some empathy for your situation because we know what it's like and we've gone through it ourselves. I know in the, you know, dementia arena, there's a thing called memory cafes and people talk about how they are such a lifesaver because a lot of friends and family kind of fall by the wayside and they're really not there to support. They don't understand. I think a lot of times they don't want to deal with the emotions of a chronic illness and the immediate connections and the deepness of those connections are just fascinating. But people know that that they understand they don't they don't have to try to dance around a situation they don't have to justify it um they don't they don't have to do anything they you know they can maybe even um at times uh, someone might snap at their loved one and the group comes in and it supports both of them because they know everybody needs support and that none of us are perfect all the time and i think having that weight off of knowing that you don't have to be perfect and, and that someone really understands is just so life affirming. And that alone, I think uh, for me and what I've heard from so many others just eases, eases the journey. Um, And you learn from one another as well on what works and what doesn't. One thing I want to ask is about, you have a compassion club. What is a compassion club? Yes. So Compassion Club is our community of monthly donors who've decided to provide that stability and stable support to a caregiver. Um, And we emphasize the monthly a lot just because with so much going on in a caregiver's life, knowing that they have a full year of support ahead of them can mean the world. Um, And so that monthly gift really gives them that constant, consistent stream of support. Wonderful. Is there is there a range in terms of what somebody can give? Is there a minimum or I, I would imagine there's no maximum. <laughs> <laughs> Every penny helps and goes directly to helping that caregiver. So um, we just, I would love to take this second too, to, to thank our current donors and anyone listening who's, who feels that heart tug to get involved. Um, it, it is awesome. I just love that I have the opportunity to invite you to join us in this because um, it really does. It does take all of us. Um, to, to help a caregiver. Well, again, we have been talking with uh, Becca and Sarah from caregivingsupportnetwork.org. And I would like to ask our listeners to like, click and share this episode. There's a lot of people in our own spheres that are dealing with issues like this. And um, a, a lot of times we don't know because we've never had that conversation. And so the more information we can push out the easier it is for someone to access when they're ready. Uh, one question I should have asked you, though, was, um, Becca, is, uh, do you work in a specific area or can anybody in the country apply? Anyone in the country can apply. Um, and that is one of the amazing privileges we have as a remote team is we, we like to call ourselves the triage unit for caregivers because we can go exactly where we're most needed because we're working with local companies. So um, wherever you are in the United States, uh, we'd love to hear from you. 
Okay, sounds good. So again, you know, be be a giver of hope, like, click and share, Tell, have a conversation, tell people this exists, you know, they can't help people who don't know that they're not there. And it costs money to, to get your name and your brand out there. And, you know, the best thing we can each do is just use, use our word of mouth, put it in a conversation, um, make it a comfortable one for people to be able to have. You can go to their website again, caregivingsupportnetwork.org. You can become part of their uh, compassion club, which is caregiversupportnetwork.org forward slash compassion club. They are also on Facebook and Instagram. So please feel free to, to like and go visit their sites. And if you've got some money to spare and um, this aligns with your heart, you know, sign up as a donor. They would love to have you be part of their compassion club. So thank you so much, ladies. Appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having us on. Thank you, Lori. And thank you for everything you're doing as well. Thank you. And uh, for our listeners and wrapping up, don't forget all the free resources we have on Alzheimer's Speaks. Just go to our free educational resources and, um, you know, check out our book, Betty the Bald Chicken Lessons in How to Care. It's a great way to have a conversation at any age or stage of life. If you're reading it yourself, reading it to a child or a grandchild of how do you want to be cared for? How do you care for yourself? Um, it just opens the door to consciously think about those things. And, you know, we can't address them if we don't consciously think about them. Uh, so check it out. And then, of course, there's always Dementia Map, which is our global resource directory uh, as well that has tons of information there. So thanks, everybody. We will speak to you next time. Bye now. Right, thank you. Thanks, Lori. Thank you. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.